Hi there. You are listening to the Main Street Math Tutor Podcast. I'm your host, Robert Travers. On this fifth episode, we will continue our deep dive of calculus by investigating the limit. We will also go over tips that you can use to solve different types of limits. Stay tuned. Are you feeling anxious about your math class? If so, you have come to the right place. My name is Robert Travers, and this is the Main Street Math Tutor Podcast. Here, we will discuss tips and tricks that you can use to go from struggling in math to not only surviving your math class, but thrive in it as well. On the last episode, we started our deep dive of calculus by first discovering what calculus actually is and why you should take it at least once in your life. To continue our deep dive of calculus, we are going to learn about the first thing that you will spend a good amount of time on, and that is the limit. Now, what is the limit? Well, the formal definition of a limit is the following. Let f of x be a function defined on an interval that contains x equals x naught which is written as x with a zero underneath it. We say that the limit as x approaches x naught of f of x equals l if, for every number epsilon greater than zero, there is some number delta greater than zero, such that the absolute value of f of x minus l is less than epsilon whenever the absolute value of x minus a is greater than zero, but less than delta. This is also known as the delta epsilon definition of a limit. Now, if you are like me when I first learned calculus, you may hear that and start to want to run for the hills. If so, don't worry, because I'll translate it for you. All this definition says is that as we approach a specific point of a function, for any range of x values, there will always be a range of y values in which the limit is between. Another way to look at the limit is to look at the function itself. And as we infinitely approach a point from either side, we are approaching some y value. For example, suppose that I wanted to find the limit as x approached zero of the function x squared. To find the limit, all I need to do is look at the function and look at what y value x squared approaches as x approaches zero. And in this case, the answer is gonna be zero. When we are looking for a limit, we're going to denote that by first writing the letters LIM, which is going to be our abbreviation for a limit. Then, underneath the limit, we will write our variable, which usually is going to be x. However, to give you a little sneak preview into next week's episode, when we cover derivatives, we'll also see delta x or h used as variables, and delta is a Greek letter that looks a lot like a triangle. Now, once we write our variable, we're going to draw a little arrow pointing right, and we're going to place that to the right of the x. Then, next to the arrow, we will write the point that x is approaching. For this example, we will use 0. Finally, next to our limit, we will write our function. And again, in this example, we'll use 2x plus 6. Once we have it, it will say the limit as x approaches 0 of 2x plus 6. There are three different types of limits in calculus. The first two that I will go over now 
are called one-sided limits. Suppose that I only want to take the limit of a function from one side. If I take the limit of a function from the left, this is called the left-sided limit. Likewise, if I take the limit of a function from the right, this is called the creatively named right-sided limit. And to denote a one-sided limit, we're going to write a sign above and to the right of the point that x approaches, writing it as if we are writing an exponent above a number. To denote a left-sided limit, we're going to put a negative sign above the number. And to denote a right-sided limit, we're going to put a positive sign above it. Whenever we take a one-sided limit, we only care about what the limit of the function is approaching from that side. The third type of limit is called a two-sided limit. This is the limit of a function as x approaches a point from both sides. You may also hear this being called a true limit. This is because a two-sided limit exists if and only if the limit of the function from the left equals the limit of the function from the right. If this is the case, then the true limit exists. If not, then the true limit does not exist. Before I continue, I want to take a moment to discuss continuity of a function. A basic way that I like to explain continuity is to imagine tracing a function. A function is continuous at a point if you can trace it without lifting your pencil. If the pencil needs to be lifted to continue, then the function is discontinuous at that point. There are three different types of discontinuities. The first is called a point or removable discontinuity. And this happens when the two-sided limit exists but the actual value of the function is different than the limit. You'll see this a lot when working with piecewise functions. For those that have not run into this before, or maybe not in a while, a piecewise function is a function that's made up of pieces of different functions. Whenever you see a piecewise function, expect at least a removable discontinuity, if not one of the next type of discontinuity, which is called a jump discontinuity. Now, I don't mean the song written by Van Halen, or the intense debate between who was the better lead singer, David Lee Roth or Sammy Hagar. I'll let the musical experts settle that debate. A jump discontinuity occurs when a true limit does not exist, but the one-sided limits do, hence the jump. The third discontinuity is called an infinite discontinuity. This happens when a function becomes unbounded, or shoots to positive or negative infinity. Expect this type of discontinuity whenever the denominator of a function equals zero. Whenever that happens, we run into a vertical asymptote, or a point on x that the function will approach forever but never actually touch. There is one final limit I want to go over. Those are limits that approach infinity. In order to find the limit as x approaches infinity, we will use something called end behavior. That is to say that we will look at the leading coefficient, an exponent of the highest exponent term only, since that will grow the quickest. There are four possible cases here. If the coefficient is positive and the exponent is even, then as x approaches positive infinity, then y will also approach positive infinity. And as x approaches negative infinity, y will also approach positive infinity. If the coefficient is positive but the exponent is odd, then as x approaches positive infinity, y will also approach positive infinity. 
But as x approaches negative infinity, y will also approach negative infinity. If the coefficient is negative and the exponent is even, then as x approaches positive infinity, y will approach negative infinity. And as x approaches negative infinity, y will also approach negative infinity. And finally, if the coefficient is negative and the exponent is odd, then as x approaches positive infinity, y will approach negative infinity. And as x approaches negative infinity, y will approach positive infinity. Now that we know all that, let's go over some tips that you can use to take limits. My first tip to taking limits is to remember that it does not matter what the function equals at the limit point. The biggest mistake in terms of taking limits that I've seen is that students try to find the actual value of f of x at the point we are approaching. In fact, I've seen many points taken off tests because someone gave the value of the function instead of the limit of the function. And when I first learned about limits, it was explained to me like looking out a window. When the shades are shut, you can only see a point or line of light beaming in. We don't know what is out there. However, when we open the window, we are seeing the whole outside. Likewise, when we're trying to find the limit of a function, we're not going to be looking at one solitary point because if that were the case, we wouldn't know exactly what else was out there. Who knows, it could be some function that's wild and crazy. But instead of looking at that one solitary point, we're going to look at all of the points surrounding it. Sure, a good portion of the time the limit will equal the value of the function. However, there are many examples where there is a jump discontinuity. And what happens at that point may be different than the limit at that point. My second tip is to always try substituting the point into the function first. I know, I just said it does not matter what the function is doing at the limit point. However, when we take limits, eventually, we will have to do this to get a final answer. And if you are able to do this at the beginning of a problem, you may save yourself a bunch of wasted time and work. The only time that this will not work is if either the limit does not exist, or if we get something divided by zero. In fact, this is known as the substitution method of taking the limit. And if there is no denominator, this should be your very first thought. Otherwise, you may end up doing unnecessary work. My third tip is to make sure you know how to factor. When it comes to taking limits, there will be times when substitution will yield a situation where we have something divided by zero, usually zero divided by zero. And when we have zero divided by zero, this is called indeterminate form. I used to tell my students all the time that whenever we divide by zero, the universe has to statistically correct itself by creating a black hole. And no one wants another black hole in the universe. At least I don't. So to avoid creating those black holes, we can perform some algebra to prevent this fate. And one of the tools at our disposal is to factor polynomials and see if something will cancel. 
most of the time there will be something that we can cancel in the numerator and denominator. If not, then we may have either factored incorrectly, or a polynomial may need further factoring. My fourth tip is to make sure you know your trig identities and your trig rules. As I stated in the last episode, calculus is the culmination of everything that came before it, and that includes pre-calculus and trigonometry. I can promise you that if you do not know your trig identities and trig rules, you're going to struggle in calculus. This is because when we study calculus, knowing your trig identities will actually make your work easier to complete. And I'll cover that more in detail when we talk about integrals. But as far as limits are concerned, you will be expected to know things such as the fact that sine over cosine is equal to tangent, and that sine squared x plus cosine squared x equals 1. Another piece of trigonometry that you will need is the unit circle. For example, if I asked for the limit as x approaches pi over 2 of tangent of x, you should know that tangent is equal to sine over cosine, and also that sine of pi over 2 is 1, and cosine of pi over 2 is 0, which gives us 1 over 0. As a result, the limit would not exist. Before I share my next tip, I must take a moment to apologize to all the life forms that will suffer at the black hole that I just created. Now that that's settled, I'll share my fifth tip which is to make sure you know conjugates. Nope, I'm not talking about conjugating verbs. I'm talking about conjugating radicals. For example, if I have a function that has radicals in the numerator and or denominator, I must multiply by the conjugate. Let's say I have a function such as 5x plus 6 all over the square root of x plus 2 minus the square root of 3x plus 2. In order to rationalize the denominator, I need to multiply by the conjugate of the denominator. And in order to find the conjugate, I'm just going to change the sign of the second term. So the conjugate would be square root of x plus 2 plus the square root of 3x plus 2. This will allow us to use the difference of squares to simplify the denominator to negative 2x, which I don't think is as scary as the two square roots in the denominator. So my sixth tip actually piggybacks off my second tip. It is to try substituting whenever a simplification is done. There will be times where all you need to do is factor or multiply by the conjugate once. Other times, this may need to be done multiple times. But most of the time, taking limits of functions looks worse than it actually is. Remember, our goal is not to find f of x. We just want to see what f of x approaches. So a problem could be finished, even if it looks like it's not. My seventh and final tip is to make sure that you understand the squeeze theorem. Admittedly, you may not even learn about the squeeze theorem when you take calculus. However, it's a very cool theorem that will save you a headache. What is the squeeze theorem? Suppose I have three functions, f of x, g of x, and h of x. Also suppose that f of x is less than or equal to g of x, and g of x is less than or equal to h of x for all x. Then, if the limit as x approaches 0 of f of x equals the limit as x approaches 0 of h of x, then the limit as x approaches 0 of g of x is also equal to those two points. 
Again, you may not cover the squeeze theorem, but if you do, make sure that you understand it. If you don't, learn it anyway. It's actually very cool. It is actually a shame that limits do not get as much love as derivatives or integrals in calculus. We learn them for about two to three weeks, and then it just gets tossed never to be seen or heard from again. However, in leading up to the derivative, the formal definition actually requires that we understand the idea of a limit. What is that definition? You'll just have to wait till next week to find out. I want to take this opportunity to thank you for listening to this episode. If you liked it, be sure to follow the show on Spotify and leave a review on Apple Podcasts. If you want to leave a voice message for me, you can do so by going to anchor.fm slash MainStreetMathTutor and clicking on the message button. Who knows? It may be featured on a future episode. While you are there, if you wish to support my podcast monetarily, please feel free to do so by hitting the support button on Anchor. Money that I make on this podcast will go to supporting and upgrading my podcast. If you are listening to this, and you or someone you know needs help with math, you can go to my website, www.mainstreettutors.com and schedule your free 30-minute consultation with me. That's www.mainsttutors.com. You can also reach me on Facebook on Main Street Math Tutoring, on Twitter at Main Street Math Tutor, street being the abbreviated ST, on Instagram at Main Street Math Tutoring, and on YouTube, Main Street Math Tutoring. You can also join the Main Street Math Tutor Podcast After Party Group, where you can ask questions and discuss previous episodes, including this one. On next week's episode, we will go over part two of the three parts of calculus, which is the derivative. You will not want to miss it. Bye, everyone.